Welcome to Texas Ag Today, a daily look at the latest news in Texas agriculture. Texas Ag Today is produced by the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network, with the largest farm news team in the Lone Star State. Now here's the host of Texas Ag Today, Carrie Martin. Thanks for joining us for another episode of Texas Ag Today. I'm your host, Carrie Martin, along with the largest and most experienced farm news team in the Lone Star State. And we're all standing by to bring you the latest news in Texas agriculture. From the Piney Woods of East Texas out to the Rocky Ranges of the Trans-Pecos. And from the Panhandle down to the Rio Grande Valley. Much needed moisture comes in the form of snowfall on the South Plains of West Texas. I'm Tom Nicoletti, and I'll have that story on Texas Ag Today. For ag producers and other residents of the Texas High Plains, the new session of the Texas Legislature could mean big news with regard to redistricting and rural broadband. I'm James Hunt, and I'll have that story on Texas Ag Today. We'll have those stories, plus the latest news from Washington, Texas wildlife news, and a complete look at the markets all coming up. Improving rural broadband in Texas is an issue that's been highlighted by the COVID-19 pandemic. Our schools are really struggling because we have areas that we just don't have access. That's State Representative Jeannie Morrison of Victoria. She says rural education has suffered in the past year because of a lack of broadband access. A broadband is huge in the rural areas because we just don't have enough access and I'm very pleased that the Governor's Broadband Development Council just came out with their, with their report and said that we need to have a statewide broadband uh, funding program to help incentivize development in our underserved areas. Rural broadband is expected to be addressed in the Texas legislative session that kicked off this week. The grain markets took a huge jump this week in response to improving global demand and a cut in grain production. But West Beal with Equity Exchange in Perryton says there's another factor boosting grain prices. With the massive amount of deficit spending that's happened recently, investors are worried about inflation. And we've seen a combination of both some positive fundamentals on the grain markets, but also I think we're seeing a lot of money coming into the market from investors that wouldn't know a stock of corn from a stem of wheat standing up, but they know they see a trending market. They know that they have fears of inflation and perhaps even more with the Biden administration that we would continue to do this. So interest rates higher, inflation up, let's throw some money into commodities and that's going to be our safe haven. Beal says the federal government has been printing massive amounts of money, and that could cause future inflation. Much of Texas saw a substantial snowfall earlier this week. Tom Nicoletti talks with a Southern Plains farmer about the snow event in his part of the state. We now go to West Texas, and Eddie Griffiths reporting from the South Plains there, where Eddie... uh, uh, farmers and ranchers and, and other residents uh, across uh, that region generally see some snowfall almost every year, and you folks uh, also got some uh, as well as uh, other parts of the state. Uh, tell us about uh, uh, how much you got and uh, the, uh, uh, the impact of the snowfall there. Yeah, we can generally get lucky enough to see some type of snowfall, Tom, whether it be a dusting or maybe a substantial 
event like this one. I mean, this wasn't anything like we saw a few years ago where it was just piled up everywhere, but it was enough that uh, for a day or so, made travel difficult and you had to really be prepared, especially if you had any livestock out there to try to get it taken care of and make sure they had feet on hand for when this event hit. But, you know, even with this snowfall, we were already in a drought-type situation, and, and this is definitely going to help, but we're going to need more more snow or rain or something to help us get into the uh, spring planting season to, to build up that moisture profile. But right now, there's still snow cover, and, you know, they can bury anywhere from probably four to eight inches of snow that we saw across the area. But uh, the way the snow is and the way it fell and and goes into the ground, you know, the, the uh, we'll be able to capture most of the moisture to where where it's laying. Yeah, certainly uh, having the snowfall uh, beginning, uh, you know, the second week of January is uh, certainly helpful. Uh, looking forward uh, to the spring planting season. It is because you know we've been wondering for a long while exactly where we're going to get the moisture, when it's going to come, and this is a start. And hopefully, we'll get into a pattern of seeing more moisture and. This, this will help with cultivation efforts at this time. Also, the wheat crop out there, the wheat crop, dryland wheat crop was suffering from lack of moisture and, and cold temperatures. When you lack moisture and you start getting cold temperature, that just makes it that much tougher for that wheat crop. So hopefully this will revive the dryland wheat crop and even the irrigated wheat crop out there and get it moving along a little bit better. Thank you, Eddie. You're welcome, Tom. That report again from Eddie Griffiths uh, in West Texas. I'm Tom Nicoletti with the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. The USDA and the U.S. Department of Justice has investigated possible collusion between the four major beef packers. Jessica Domel has more. On the last prime cuts, Chelsea Good, the vice president of government and industry affairs for the Livestock Marketing Association, gave us an update on the USDA and Department of Justice investigations into two events that caused an increase in the spread between boxed beef prices and the prices that ranchers receive. She joins us again today for more on those investigations to determine if there was any wrongdoing that led to the price spread. She says it could very well be that the two black swan, or rare events, caused the spread in prices. I think that that's certainly possible. I I personally have been in touch with a lot of people who are really connected to these investigations or connected within the industry. I have not seen any clear evidence of coordination between some of these major players. And, And I think we also need to keep in mind, we have a industry that's fairly consolidated. You've got four major packers that are more than 85% of the marketplace. They might not necessarily need to coordinate in order to be able to see what some of their competitors are doing. The Livestock Marketing Association was one of the first groups to call for an investigation after a fire at a Tyson plant in Kansas decreased hook space and led to higher prices at the store, but lower prices for ranchers. The U.S. Department of Agriculture released its preliminary report on its investigation last year. The report laid out several factors USDA believes caused the increase in the price spread. The Department of Justice has not yet released a report on its investigation into potential wrongdoing. Good says that one thing livestock producers can do now to protect themselves is risk management. And there's tools like using, for example, the futures market to hedge. You know, we saw that folks that were utilizing that sort of risk management have been able to weather this storm 
much better than some others. Uh, USDA has also made some changes to their livestock risk protection insurance. And I'm seeing more and more people look at that as potentially a, a viable option or a tool that could be paired with some other things that could be helpful to utilize. The USDA and DOJ investigations have sparked talk of the need for more packers in the U.S. In areas that we have multiple major packers plus some regional players competing against one another, prices are higher. Competition works. Um, I have seen some states working on grant programs with some of their uh, COVID funds in order to encourage either small processors to start or to expand their capacity. There's also been some active pieces of legislation in Congress that will not a a pixie ducks fix to all of this, you know, certainly in some kind of nuanced ways could help improve this space, you know, maybe giving some uh, funds or programming to help some small packers that aren't currently USDA inspected, so can't sell the interstate, maybe making it a little easier for them to raise their standards to reach that threshold. That was Chelsea Good from the Livestock Marketing Association. For the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network, I'm Jessica Domel. What could redistricting mean for agriculture in the Texas High Plains? James Hunt takes a look. As I bring you more from my conversation with Cody Besant, the Vice President of Operations and Legislative Affairs for Plains Cotton Growers, he says the redistricting effort that will occur in the Texas Legislature's new session that began this week could impact our region from a numbers standpoint. The districts in the High Plains will certainly be restructured, redrawn, and there's always the potential to even lose a seat. The potential loss Besant referred to could mean our region winding up with one less member in the Texas House of Representatives, the kind of loss we have experienced with redistricting in previous decades, and a reflection of the fact that the state's population growth is occurring more in areas like Dallas, Houston, and San Antonio, where seats are likely to be shifted. On a brighter note, in terms of what the legislature might deliver, Besant says state lawmakers are also expected to explore ways to expand rural broadband. So that way people have a better effective internet service. Uh, It also will have a better impact on technology that we utilize today in the row crop industry as well as local communities through schools. You know, many recall during this COVID-19 pandemic that many schools operated remotely, and some still do that today. And having an efficient internet service is certainly key to being able to maintain the hybrid that we're operating underneath today as well. And another note of interest to our region, Besant says during this legislative session, the Texas Department of Agriculture is among several state agencies undergoing sunset review, a process in which lawmakers will be looking for better ways to be efficient or programs that can be enhanced or cut to make the agency a lot more uh, effective uh, in administering certain programs. Besson indicated, however, that significant changes to state ag programs are not expected. I'm James Hunt on the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. The farm economy outlook is improving thanks to trade, COVID-19 relief, and a market rally. Michael Clements reports from Washington. The new year is bringing some optimism for the farm economy, thanks to multiple factors. Farm Bureau Chief Economist John Newton says one of those factors is trade with China, which could reach near record levels. Recently released data from the U.S. Census Bureau showed that preliminary exports to China during November nearly $5 billion. So when you add that to the existing total, we've now sold about $22.5 billion to China. So that's significant progress and a step in the right direction. We're unlikely to hit the phase one targets, but we could be close to record exports to China this year. Meanwhile, the latest COVID-19 relief package includes roughly $13 billion in additional support for farmers and ranchers. It puts a $20 per acre payment for 
crops that were included in the CFAP2 program. It includes support for contract livestock and poultry producers, includes a supplemental payment for cattle producers, and then also includes no less than $1.5 billion for food distribution programs. So it allows USDA to continue the Farmers to Families Food Box program. Add to that the ongoing market rally, and Newton says the farm economy outlook is improving. We've seen the market get pretty tight in terms of supply over the last few months, especially with South American weather concerns. We've seen soybean and corn prices rally pretty significantly. And I think moving into 2021 with prices where they are, we're certain to see an expansion in soybean acres, maybe corn buys some acres this spring. So the outlook on the farm economy has certainly improved since late July and August. Michael Clements, Washington. This is the best time of year to spawn a bald eagle here in Texas. Jessica Domel talks more about that in today's Wildlife Report. Plus, treating parasite infections in dogs can be a difficult task. We'll ask Dr. Bob Judd about that coming up next, right here on Texas Ag Today. In Texas, there's pea-sized hail and baseball-sized hail. Guess which one hit our house? We didn't even know where to begin, but we called our Texas Farm Bureau insurance agent, and he was so reassuring. He knew exactly what to do to get our house back into shape and our lives back to normal. Now, we're even more thankful for the roof over our heads. Visit Texas Farm Bureau Insurance today at tfbinsurance.com to insure your home for Texas-sized weather. Coverage and discounts are subject to qualifications and policy terms and may vary by situation. We're keeping you informed on everything happening in Texas agriculture on Texas Ag Today. Treating parasites in your dog can be a real pain, especially if they have hookworms. Veterinarian Dr. Bob Judd has more. Hookworms can either cause no symptoms in dogs or can be deadly in puppies. The parasites may cause diarrhea as they cause their damage in the intestinal tract, but also cause blood loss. And this is the cause of death in many young puppies. It is very common for folks with puppies to deworm them with a product called Pyrantel that is yellow liquid dewormer available over the counter. However, it is common for hookworms to be resistant to Pyrantel, and it has been used for decades and resistance has developed over the years. We now see many puppies come into our office with a report of being dewormed by the breeder or other person with this dewormer, and many of the puppies still have hookworms, so resistance is a problem. For this reason, have your veterinarian perform a fecal analysis on your dogs at least once a year, and all new puppies should have a fecal exam performed rather than just deworming, as many times that is not effective. Hookworm treatment requires deworming medication to be given three days in a row and again in two, four, and eight weeks because these hookworms have migratory stages that are not killed by routine deworming medications while they are migrating in the tissue of the dog's body. The hookworm larvae are also infectious to people, so we really do not want these dog parasites in the environment. And although the monthly heartworm medications indicate on the label that they treat and control hookworm and roundworm infections, these medications are not very effective at actually doing this. So you cannot depend on the monthly heartworm medication to prevent and treat hookworms in your dog. That's today's Texas Vet News. Thanks for listening. I'm Dr. Bob Judd, and this is the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. This is a great time of year to spot a bald eagle here in Texas. Jessica Domel has more in today's wildlife report. 
Bald eagles are active in Texas this time of year. How can you be sure that the bird you're looking at is a real bald eagle? Dr. Maureen Frank, a wildlife specialist from the Texas A&M AgriLife Extension Service, explains. When you see an adult bald eagle, there's really not much else that you can confuse it with because they're so large and their head is so white and they're a very distinctive bird. Most people have seen a picture of them and know what they look like. But juvenile bald eagles can very easily be confused with golden eagles or with other types of hawks, although honestly eagles are so much bigger than our other birds of prey that when you see one, it's it's pretty impressive how much bigger they are. A lot of birds will pretty quickly switch from their juvenile plumage to their adult plumage. But bald eagles take about four to five years to make that switch. So if you've got juvenile bald eagles who for four to five years are this brown coloration without that white on their head. And so that can be very confusing. They look quite a bit like a golden eagle. Bald eagles are kind of mottled underneath. So they're brown. So they've got kind of these little white patches in places. And it they almost look a little bit scraggly, like scraggly teenager. <laughs> They're not all nice and sharp yet. Whereas a golden eagle has a little bit more white towards the wrist and they don't have that mottled white underneath. There's a great picture online. The website allaboutbirds.org allows you to compare the IDs of different species. And if you look up either bald eagle or golden eagle, you can find the one to compare and they have a fantastic picture. That was Dr. Maureen Frank from the Texas A&M AgriLife Extension Service. For the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network, I'm Jessica Domel. Well, this has not been the best week for the cattle market. We saw prices just drift lower all through the week. We wrapped up lower again on Thursday. But the grain markets, they're just continuing to climb following that big USDA report on Tuesday. We'll take a closer look at all the livestock, cotton, grain, energy, and financial markets coming up next. Keep it right here on Texas Ag Today. Did you know that one out of every three mouthfuls of food we eat is produced by insect pollination, most of which is done by bees? In fact, bees are vitally important to food production. That's why modern agriculture is working with beekeepers to promote bee health. Ensuring a sustainable food supply requires each of us to play our part in preserving the land and protecting pollinators. This public service announcement is brought to you by Syngenta. We're giving you the market information you need on Texas Ag Today. Well, this was definitely not the best week for the cattle market. Prices have drifted lower all week long. As we've talked about all week, USDA released some really big numbers for the grain markets on Tuesday. They had their supply and demand report, their quarterly stocks report, their crop production report. All of those numbers added up to higher grain prices, sharply higher grain prices, and they've climbed all through the week. And typically when you see higher grain prices, that means you're going to see some pressure on cattle prices, and we've definitely seen that all week long. Here's how they wrapped up on Thursday. February live cattle down 17 at 112.07. The April down 25, 117.22. June live cattle down 15 at 114.95. The feeder market has gotten hit especially hard. January feeders down 97, 132.60. March feeders down 95 at 133.37. April feeder cattle down 75 cents at 136. Cash fed cattle market feeling the pressure this week coming in lower. Looks like packers have picked up most of the cattle they need this week. 
a wide range in prices, 108 to 112, most of those cattle going right in the middle at 110. That's one to two dollars lower compared to a week ago. Up north, dressed cattle selling from 171 to 173. That's four dollars lower than a week ago. Boxed beef prices higher. Choice up 249, 213.49. Select up 210 at 201.16. Let's check the auction barns now. We'll go to Columbus Livestock, Columbus, Texas. They sold 650 head this week. The trend steady. Two to three weight steers, a dollar twenty-five to two fifteen. Three to four weights, a dollar twenty to two oh five. Four to five hundred pounders, a dollar fifteen to a dollar ninety-six. Five to six weight steers, a dollar ten to a dollar seventy. Six to seven hundred pounders, a dollar to a dollar thirty-six. And seven eight weight steers, bringing ninety-five to a dollar twenty-four pound. Slaughter cows, thirty to sixty-two cents. Slaughter bulls, fifty-five to eighty-four. Stocker cows, five fifty to eleven fifty a head. Cow calf pairs, seven fifty to twelve fifty a pair. Now back over to the futures market where lean hogs close lower. February hogs down fifty five, sixty six thirty. April down eighty seven, seventy two oh five. Class three milk was mixed. The January down two cents, sixteen twenty nine. February milk up forty at nineteen thirty a hundredweight. Well, we already mentioned that big USDA report on Tuesday. It was a bullish report for cotton also. We're seeing the U.S. dollar weaken this week and a good export sales report Thursday morning added to the gains that we've seen in cotton. Well above 80 cents now on the old crop contracts. March up 23 points, 81.15. The May up 23 at 82 cents even. December cotton unchanged, 76.80. The grain markets continuing to climb and make new highs. We closed higher in both corn and wheat as we continue to see the fallout from those tight stocks and crop numbers in Tuesday's report. July Kansas City wheat up 10 and a quarter, 640 and three quarters. July Chicago wheat up seven and a half at 655. September corn up six and a half, 484. December corn up four and a half at 457 and three quarters. In the energy markets, February natural gas down in nickel, 267. February crude oil up 68 cents at 53.59 a barrel. The financial markets lower. The Dow Jones Industrial Average down 45 points, 31,015. The Nasdaq down 16 at 13,112. The S&P 500 down 13 points at 3,796. Well, that wraps up our look at the markets, and that wraps up another edition of Texas Ag Today. Remember, we'll be right back here next time to bring you all of the latest news in Texas agriculture. I'm Kerry Martin. Hope to see you then. Thanks for listening to Texas Ag Today. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify. For more Texas Ag news and information, check out our website at texasfarmbureau.org or tfbradio.com. Texas Ag Today is a production of the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network.